Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Twin City sports fans, hold on tight. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, this is The Ride with Royce. He's going the distance. He's going for speed. Better turn that on. Are you guys all excited about uh, Gopher signing day today? You know, you should be, right? I guess. You, you know, it is funny because Korzanowski, by the way, filling in for Royce, who's uh, down, what is he basking in his... Uh, is no, it he's Florida still, State. He he will be, but he's still home. He's still home for a couple of days for Christmas and whatnot. Right, so yeah, you he's know, gonna I was, be leaving after after. Christmas. I was just talking to Sush, and there, there's really the two months I hate the most of the year are November and December. Why do you what? I hate them. Why? Well, I mean, you know, because they're cold and they're dark, and the the end of winter seems like I'll never get there, <laughs> and Christmas is. Just a huge pain in the butt. But you're a huge football guy, and there's Thanksgiving and the you know, holidays. I, I don't judge my life on the sporting events going on. Sure. And thank God that there are, at least this time of year with the weather being so crappy, you know, if you want to watch in a, a game, there's pretty much one on all the time that you could watch. But, but you love Thanksgiving, though, don't you? I do love Thanksgiving, other than it's in November. But, yeah, you know, Thanksgiving's <laughs> great. I mean, uh, the food's great. You'd, you'd rather Thanksgiving be in, like, June right. or July That's or right. something. On my, on my list of holidays that are my favorites, number one is the 4th of July, because it's in the middle of the doggone summer. To be. That one's tough to be. <laughs> and Memorial Day is number two, because it's start of summer. Yep. Number yeah. three would probably be Thanksgiving, because you get, to, you get together with the family, which is fun, and there's no pressure of gift-giving. Right, I, I don't yeah. like gift giving. I, I don't. But when and, you have young kids, as I do, oh, Christmas is, is a, fun. Young, you know, and we have fun on Christmas. Okay. But but it's a different. No, kid, young kids is fun. But I think one adult buying a like, for example, husband buying a gift for a wife for for Christmas just seems redundant to me. Okay, that's what it seems. If we need something, you get some. If you don't, you don't. You know. That's why we have a pretty good rule. We just. We're good. Yeah, I like to get stuff for the boys. Does it actually, do, does your oh, wife yeah. actually, so, yep. so she doesn't all of a sudden, nope. we're not getting any gifts, and then you show up and she like bought you a Lexus. We made you know? a pact, because what we like to do is, you know, like for instance, this year, our gift is we're going on a trip that's to San Diego like in the winter. That's that's our Christmas to each other. We just so bought, we do stuff like that. Well, here's what I had to go. So we just bought a new house, you know, in September, and I said, no Christmas gifts. We got a lot of stuff to do in the house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, anytime you get into a different house, there's just a lot of other yes, expenses that, that come out, come down on you for probably about a year, mm-hmm. right? Things yep. you got to do. Because, uh, you know, the other house that you were in, if you were in it for any period of time, you finally got everything right. You know, and then there's a little bit, but it takes a long time. She says, great. So all of a sudden she comes to me yesterday and she goes, what are you getting me for Christmas? I said, uh, you're sitting in it. Uh, <laughs> so I realize now. Wow. <laughs> so now I realize I got to go out and get something. But you said you just moved in. So in that September. wasn't the gift? In September. That wasn't the gift? And the other thing I was said, there's a young lawyer in our office and he's, 
he's getting close to to getting his you know very serious girlfriend an engagement oh, ring. And I said, that time. and I said, the time to do it is you you want to do it around Christmas time because yep. then it's a two for one. Boom, mm. two for one. Yep. Right? You, yeah. You, you, you there's your Christmas gift, and it's the wedding ring. You know, if you give the wedding ring in July, then Christmas you got to come up with it. It's the, go for the two for Propose one. to my wife December twenty third. Yes, Atta boy. Because I'm no dummy. Yep. You're getting one thing, and it's that ring. That's what you're getting. <laughs> Me, January 1st, but we had bought the ring, and we had settled that that was part of the Christmas. Because uh-huh. nobody goes out and buys the ring and then gives it to their uh, fiancé as a surprise, do they? Does anybody do that anymore? Where where the where the, the the woman I sprung it on her, so she didn't have anything to do with picking it no. out. Mm-mm. Really, no. that's cool. I, I I respect that. Well, and I, you kind of got. We were together for a long time right. before, so, you so I kind of got a sense as to what she would like and maybe what she was interested in, what style and whatnot. And I went to a place that I asked for a lot of help and and a lot of female staff for a lot of help because I wanted to know a what was trendy, what was the style, and what. What would a woman my wife's age, girlfriend at the time, what what would her style be like? And they helped me out. And, and she liked it? She loved it. And if she didn't, could she have brought it back? Uh, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, when I was searching, when we were going for the ring, and we were looking at the rings, and my now wife, but I'm old, right? We got married recently, and she she was looking at two very, the two rings were almost identical, but one had a larger stone than the other. And she says, well, you know, I'm not sure. I, I actually kind of like the smaller stone. And I said, well, you know, you, I said, you really should get the bigger stone. So then when we get divorced and you have to hawk it, you'll have more money. <laughs> How'd so, that go over? Oh, she loved it. Okay, good, but, good. Well, and the other thing I said is, is uh, my secretary just had uh, just uh, retired. And so the, the three lawyers at their office that, that she had worked with primarily, we did, we all put in money and we're going to go get some jewelry for her. Okay. And, and my wife said, I'll, I'll pick it out. So she goes, when's your secretary's birthday? I said, don't know. Uh, oh no! Yeah, so so I found out, you know, I mean, the, and and so she goes and she, and I go to the jewelry store and my wife had picked out three things and I picked one of them, but as I showed up, so my wife is there and we're, we're looking at like these really nice necklaces and bracelets and earrings and stuff, and I look to the salesperson and I say, can you believe that my wife helps me pick out jewelry for my mistress? And I thought that was funny too, but yes. uh, you know, it didn't really go over that well at the time. Now before we get uh, Andy Greeter is going to join us at 4.15 uh, to talk gopher recruiting. But I wanted to run through some things because I think we all know that these that when everyone was melting down this season about the gophers and how bad they were and P.J. Fleck's a fraud and all that, I said, folks, P.J. Fleck is here not to take – he wasn't – and I think he can probably coach. I mean, I don't know whether he can or we'll he can't. We'll find out, yeah. We'll find out. Look, he – He's going to build a program, right? He, he, and 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 I said, yeah, the team stunk, but they had no quarterback, they had no receivers, and their offensive line was decimated, right? That's that. That's why they were so terrible. Mm-hmm. But I said, we we got PJ Fleck here because we think that PJ Fleck's the kind of guy. The people that are PJ Fleckaholics, they think maybe he's the guy that can lead us out of what has now been fifty years of in the wilderness. By fifty years, haven't even been close to winning a Big Ten title. Last Big Ten title was nineteen sixty seven. And the only way you're going to do it, number you can't, you can take less talented guys and coach them up. And I don't know to what extent Wisconsin's done that. I don't know where their recruiting classes have been, but I guarantee you, I'm guessing Wisconsin recruiting classes have been better than this. These are the recruiting classes under Kill, ranked nationally by 24 7 and in the Big Ten. And by the way, there are 14 teams in the Big Ten, for those of you who don't remember. And how many nationally? 
Is it 300 and some? No, I think they're ranking them on, if you're ranking Division One and Division One a it's like 120. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 2011 kills first year, 57th and 12th. 2012, 59th and 12th. 2013, 67th and 14th. 2014, 57th and 11. 2015, 63rd and 13. So I would say when you look at his recruiting classes, Jerry Kill was pretty good at coaching them up, right? Because they were pretty good. In one year, they were what, like nine and four and went to the went to the Citrus the Bowl. Citrus Bowl, yeah. But yep. when you are re- recruiting at those levels, to think that you could that he was ever even close to winning. And one year, remember, he was playing Wisconsin for the Western for the West Division title. Yeah. Which and they were winning That's at halftime. The same half-time. year they went to the Citrus Bowl. Yeah, which was 2015, I think. Yep. And. Maybe the 2014, 2015 January. I think it might yep. have been 2014. Yeah, it was 14. Yeah. And this is so he had coached them up. And you, I'm not saying you can't have a good program and get them coached up when you have bad recruiting. But but let's be honest. Were those teams going to win a Big Ten title? No. Now now let's then Clay's was 46th and eighth in his one year of recruiting. Here's Fleck, 59th and 12th. So basically the same as Jerry Kill. But remember he came in in January and signing day was February. This year. 27th and 6th. 20, and the best recruiting class in the Western uh, Big Ten West. So if he can continue that, that doesn't mean that guarantees they're going to be good because he's going to have to coaching them up. But until you start recruiting at a higher level, uh, there's really no chance that the Gophers are going to win a Big Ten championship. And so that's a good first sign that Flex first full recruiting year where he had the full year that he's performed that well by the rankings. Certainly doesn't guarantee that any of those guys are going to be any good, but that's all you can look at at this point. We'll take a break, and when we come back, we will have a little more insight from Andy Greeter of the St. Paul Pioneer Press. He has been covering recruiting day as well, but first we'll go to traffic with Kenny. Well, your Minnesota Gophers, uh, this is... uh... Uh, was that early recruiting commitment date, although it appears that it was more of a, like the main recruiting date, moved up from, it used to be, what, February. Uh, Andy Greeter, uh, St. Paul Pioneer Press, used to cover some Minnesota Timberwolves stuff and some other stuff, but now are you pretty much full-time just doing Gophers football, uh, Andy? Uh, yeah, that's the the primary beat, and then I also do Minnesota United soccer. That's right. Uh, so those are those are the two main ones, yep. So you're away from the, uh, you know, it is funny, over at Target Center, which they've always been lousy, but now this year they're expected to be good. And they're pretty good, but it seems like everyone, including me, is more unhappy than we've ever been watching the Timberwolves. <laughs> You're yeah, right. For, it's yeah, got, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, they have a winning record, and you know they have a, a playoff spot, and uh, everybody seems dissatisfied. Everyone's wringing their hands about what they aren't and not looking at what they are. I think that, you know, I mean, there's going to be a learning curve when you bring in this many new pieces and kind of upset the apple cart, and you know, and I have Jimmy Butler as the as the best player when Towns and Wiggins were used to to vying for it. So I think there's going to be some time to kind of work out those kinks. But, yeah, it's just amazing how quickly the, the tide has turned on the sentiment towards that team. It really is true. Now, the, the recruiting day today, uh, obviously mm-hmm. the Gophers, I was on 24-7, and I was kind of comparing in this class yeah. is ranked 27th, 6th in the Big Ten, the best amongst the Big Ten West. Uh, in the Big Ten, according to 24-7, the Gophers are behind Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, surprisingly mm-hmm. Maryland and Michigan State. But ahead of Wisconsin now, these ratings are you know they're worth something because you know the teams that are consistently in the top ten are the teams that are consistently in the top ten. So I think there certainly is a correlation at some level. 
But and and certainly the Gophers, given their recruiting history under Kill and Brewster and Mason, and Brewster had one really good recruiting year, mm-hmm. two thousand eight. That that mm-hmm. that kind of disintegrated even before the season started, if I recall. A ton of those guys never even made it on campus. But but what's first of all, did were there any surprises today? Did anything happen where there was a, a verbal commitment that didn't turn into an actual commitment? And 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 just kind of give me a lay of the land as to what happened today, given this early signing day. And the, is this the first year of the early signing day? Yeah, it's the it's the first year the NCAA moved it up in April um, and kind of gave a, a three day window in December uh, to allow uh, commits to you know kind of sign and, and kind of seal the deal with different schools. And the Gophers took a different track than everybody else, where or the majority of other schools where they pretty much wrapped everything up today. So there's no more 2018 recruiting and they're turning the page to 2019. So, you know, it was pretty ho-hum, pretty status quo for the Gophers. The only change was, you know, there was a Perham defensive tackle, Logan Richter, who has decided to, to gray shirt. So he'll be coming in at least planned right now to come in next year. So the Gophers have, have 25 commits and, Pretty much everything was was status quo from the start, and and uh, you know you mentioned some of the 24/7 rankings, and those actually got a boost throughout the day as some of the other programs around the country, you know, had some changes. So I think the Gophers are now, I think 22nd was the last I saw, but yeah, I think it's you know it's it's nice to have that barometer, uh, but I don't put all the eggs in that basket and and look at that solely just because, like you said, like the 2018. Uh, Gophers class, you know, they were, I think, the best that they've been in, since then. And, uh, you know, they were, I think, 28 and 36 during their time, you know, from Brewster to, to Jeff Horton to to, uh, to Jerry Kill. So things things can change. And, you know, it's only one. It's a big piece of the puzzle, but it's only one. You still need to coach them up and develop them and lead them and have them do the right things once they get here. And it sounds like this, this class kind of has that understanding that, that's what's expected of them that uh, you know this is just the beginning they need to work hard now and and do things right so he did sign all the did all these guys sign today yeah so they've they've signed 25 guys uh and they're done for the recruiting class now and and they're turning the gears uh and fully focusing for the rest of the recruiting cycle here uh, there's still the the regular national signing day and i'm sure that there will be programs around the country that are signing guys uh, during that next window and, and throughout the rest of this week. But but the Gophers are done. They've been a, a pace setter uh, all recruiting cycle with having, you know, if not the most, one of the most, uh, you know, as far as how many pledges they have in the class. And, and they were able to, to steal it here. And, and now things kind of completely turn, like I said. And, you know, when you look back, and I, and I took the opportunity to do it and look back at what, uh, based on the rankings, what Fleck had done at Western Michigan and, and when yeah. he was there in 13, which was similar, his his year in 13 was similar to his year here in 17, where he's hired and you have a short yeah. period of time. And he was 108th in the country and 7th in the in the Mid-America Conference. And then he went 71st and 1st, 76th and 2nd, 67 and 1st. And, of course, they ended up winning you know a bunch of games at the end. And so the, the idea is it seems like when Fleck gets the guys, he's certainly able to coach them up. So I'm really, you know, when I watched the yeah. season last year, I could have. I mean, as a Gopher fan, I would have liked to have seen them play better. But, but it yeah. really, to me, when when he said last year was year zero, it really was. I mean, this is now where it starts. He had a full run at recruiting. He's he's really outperformed every recruiting class in Minnesota since 2000, with the exception of that one Brewster class. 
And and it looks and when you just watch the effort that he puts into recruiting, I mean, I just get the sense that this guy is legitimately twenty four seven on the job recruiting, and that's kind of what you have to be, especially recruiting to a place like Minnesota. Yeah, absolutely. I think what's what's interesting with him is that uh, you know you have uh, kind of recruiting as kind of the baseline of everything. I think that there were previous staffs recruiting was kind of a subset of it. Reflect really puts it at the forefront and says this is the driver for everything that we do. It's something that he said in the opening press conference. And that's something that you see day in and day out. I think that even just kind of the way that he talks about this class. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. I thought last year where he talked for 37 straight minutes before he opened it up to questions talking about his class. And it was 32 minutes before he took a sip of water last year. And, and this year he talked about the class for 50 minutes uh, before he took any questions. So I think it just kind of shows that he's really committed. He's bought in, he's got anecdotes and stories and history and, and details about all of these guys, and they really become kind of a part of, of who he is, and it's really a passion for him uh, to kind of put this all together. And, and I know that there, you know, the tables, there was one eye looking towards 2019, especially some of the big guys in the state, Bryce Benhart and Lakeville North, a, an enormous tackle, and, and Quinn Carroll, he died another enormous tackle, a top 120 guy in the nation. Uh, so there was always one eye towards 2019, and now it's kind of full throttle in that direction. So even though they've got everything wrapped up at this point, everything is now just being transitioned into more recruiting in, in upcoming classes in 2019 and 2020 and beyond. And really when you look how the Big Ten is set up and even how this recruiting class played out, where the Gophers had were sixth in the Big Ten, but number one in the West, even ahead of yeah. Wisconsin, all it's very close. I mean, right. you, you look at you look at after Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State, there's kind of a big drop to everybody. But but right. but that's going to be the key that the Big Ten West is there for the taking if 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 Fleck can continue to recruit like he did this year. Yeah, and I think I mean you need volume, right? I mean, some people discredit you know the Gophers being ahead of Wisconsin just because they have more recruits and the average recruit might not be as highly rated, uh, even though in Wisconsin's case, it's it's a little bit more apples to apples. But I think, you, I mean, you need volume. I think if you just look at where the Gophers are now with, you know, let's take, for instance, the 2015 class. You know, the guys that are going to be upperclassmen uh, going into next year. I mean, half of those guys are already gone. So you just, you need volume. You need to sign full classes each and every year. And to be a pace setter in the Big Ten West is is huge. I mean, you have, we obviously know what Wisconsin has done and what they'll continue to do. And, and Scott Frost, I think he's going to be a force to be reckoned with once he gets a full recruiting class, a full time to be able to kind of come in and, and do his thing. And you got one of the best players in the state of Minnesota to, to stay with him and David Alston, a kind of a hybrid defensive end outside linebacker in a three, four scheme uh, to stay with him in Nebraska. Um, so, yeah, I think that those are kind of the heavyweights that they're going to have to compete and, and having the Gophers kind of, even if it's by a thread, Ahead of those teams, I think it's a benefit to, to where PJ has been able to take this program and you know just under just under a year at this point. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate that. Andy Green. And before we go, Reavers, it is what it is. Look, one recruiting class doesn't turn a program around, but if he can consistently be recruiting in the top twenty-five, okay, mm-hmm. th- that's how you turn a program around. Sure, absolutely. Unless he's a moron like Brewster was, and like things, Brewster was brought in primarily to be a recruiter, right? So his first year, he was 48th in the country, 10th. Again, first year. You don't. Then the next year, I remember this. He he had the 26th best class, fifth in the Big Ten, and we're going. See, that's Brewster. And then they started that year seven and zero. The next year, and then the the bottom caved in. And the next year he was 35th nationally, eighth in the Big Ten. And then by 2010, all the mojo was gone. All the coaches left. 
there's a stability there with Fleck and but unfortunately, because he came in with all of the yes, with, with all this you know boisterous activity, that's unfortunately just the comparison that's going to be made until, until there is success. Until he delivers, I agree. But I think he he's he's proven to me that that last year when he 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 got a good recruiting class, uh, and we saw some of those freshmen play and play well. Uh, that he got a good recruiting class, even though he came in under the gun, a better than normal recruiting class for the Gophers. And now when he's had a full run at it. This is a serious. This is the sort of recruiting classes you need to do year after year after year to become a top twenty-five program. And I'll keep saying it again and again and again. The most important aspect of recruiting, got to have a quarterback. Got he's, got, he's got to have a good quarterback. And he got. And for now, you know, it's that JC kid, right? Yep. Can the JC kid play or can't he? If he can, and they have a quarterback. But I'll say this: you know, watch Alabama. Their quarterback play isn't very good. I mean, you know, it, the so, problem is they well, have about ninety-five NFL players on the roster. Oh, they roster. do. I mean, <laughs> but I'm saying if Alabama can't get good quarterbacks, it's. it's I mean, Jalen Hurts isn't good by previous Alabama quarterback standards, but he's still pretty good. Yeah, he's still pretty good. But to but, grow, you must fail. There you go. We'll take a break when we come back. A little Johnny Hyde update. Time to head into the fifteen hundred ESPN Twin Cities newsroom. And Johnny Hyde. Thanks, Corso. Cloudy and 19 degrees. This update brought to you by Account Temps. Do you need accounting and finance professionals for long-term or recurring projects? If so, Account Temps salaried professional service may be the right solution. Visit AccountTemps.com. Account Temps, a Robert Half company. Uh, Timberwolves on the road tonight. They are in Denver. Well, they will play the Nuggets. Uh, the Twins. And by the way. Yes. Shame on Marnie Gellner for tweeting out the photo from downtown Denver right now where it's a beautiful <laughs> 65 degrees. Is it really? You know, that is an, that's a grip would be a great city to live in from a weather perspective. Yeah, yeah, I've been out there before, and it's I went out there last October, October of last year, and it was like 78 and uh, sunny because for like you, four days you know, out there. Marnie's get, lucky she's my neighbor. I'd rip her You know, right they're going to get dumped <laughs> on with snow in Denver, but, but even in the, like in January, you can play golf. On Saturday, and then drive up in the mountains and ski on Sunday. Because it doesn't oh. get terribly cold no. there, right? No, no and yeah. it melts. And they'll have some weather, but but not like here. It's yeah, just, it's just a beautiful city. Yeah, and it's beautiful, yeah. Twins finalized their minor league coaching staffs today. Joel Skinner is manager of the team's class AAA team in Rochester. Is he a catcher for the Indians? He was a catcher. He also was an interim manager for them in 2002. He'll replace Mike Quaddy. Uh, Quaddy uh, will become a minor league outfield coordinator for the Twins. In class AA, Chattanooga, Tommy Watkins replaces Jake Maurer. Toby Garden hires the new manager at Cedar Rapids. Class A, Fort Myers, Ramon Barroga is the manager replacing Doug Menkevich. And Ray Smith enters his 25th season as manager for the rookie-level Elizabethan Tennessee Twins. A couple of baseball notes. Big trade. Tampa Bay Rays traded third baseman Evan Longoria to the Giants for Christian Arroyo, Denard Spann, Matt Crook, and Stephen Woods. Uh, the Nationals have signed former twin lefty Tommy Malone <laughs> to a minor league contract. <laughs> you well, how does he keep you, getting work? Did you say the same when Anthony Swarzak went away? Did you say the same? And he's turned uh, out to be good. Now, I'm not saying Tommy Malone will, but Swarzak's like a really good reliever now, right? I don't think Swarzak I am. throws hard, Very though. Good, yeah, man. no, I know. Tommy Malone is. <laughs> yeah. You're right. But Tommy Malone topping out at about 87. It's the old rule. Fastball. If you've got a kid, and I always joked when throw I had my son, I was going to say, I'm yes. tying his right arm behind yeah. his back till he's 20, so he's got to learn to throw left handed. But back to the Longoria trade, what I don't get, because I would have been all about if the Twins would have made this move. If you look at his contract, yeah, he's old 86, six, whatever it is. But it's only like fifteen. I know only. I'm. I'm. I know that. But it's only fifteen annually. 
for the rest of the country. So he's, he's a got, good player. So, so he's got yeah. like seven years left, is what it's you're saying. 2022, and then an option for 23. Yeah, he, and he had a down year last year. He's still good. Yeah, I would have done still, the I heartbeat. I agree with that. Didn't, yeah. didn't Tommy Malone spend some time in the Nationals organization already? Boy, Maybe. I don't know. He's probably uh, played for everybody. Yeah. He's, he's played for a lot of teams, so yeah. Uh, one other baseball note. Orioles closer Zach Britton. Uh, I don't like this story. Ruptured yeah. his Achilles. Oof. He'll be out four to six months. How did he do it? Do we know? Uh, all I saw was a note that said he was working out. So all, all I saw. He was playing basketball. I will I will bet money on it. And I'm not, I'm not making light. I, I bet that's what happened. Years ago, wide receivers in the NFL would get uh, extra praise if they were willing to go over the middle and take punishment from linebackers and safeties. Of course, these days, uh, it's a little different. Every receiver goes over the middle without the same type of fear. Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer today said uh, he had a different reason. He said quarterbacks' willingness to throw over the middle is part of the reason for the high number of personal foul penalties and suspendable hits. Zimmer told reporters, I guess I'm a defensive coach. A lot of times these quarterbacks throw the ball in the middle of the field, and these safeties are coming up to make a play. And to be quite honest, the ball shouldn't have been thrown. Back in the day, that ball wouldn't have been thrown. Prior to the 2016 season, the NFL made it a point of emphasis to penalize hits with the crown of the helmet, putting the onus on defenders to avoid helmet-to-helmet hits. Well, I had another thing I like about Case Keenum. Mm -hmm. He throws down the field. To if to to Diggs or Thielen when they look like they're covered, and I think he knows, as long as I get the don't underthrow it, it won't be intercepted. And even if the guy doesn't catch it, you're going to get a, an interference call. You know, a high percentage of the time. Mm-hmm. I think he absolutely sets that up a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. You do see that a lot now. Though. You do. He Zimmer's does. He's got a point. He will throw it over the middle or down the field. He'll even if Diggs or Thielen are covered, he'll throw it. He'll throw yeah. it to him and figure. Well, you know, if, as long as I don't underthrow it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a good chance that even if my guy doesn't catch it, there'll be an interference penalty. There'll be a 30, 40 yards. One other NFL note, Ezekiel Elliott, glad to be back on the practice field with his Cowboys teammates. This is the first time since November 3rd. He told reporters it was great. The energy was high. I've missed all the guys. They missed me and were excited to continue the season. He would not discuss what he did to remain in shape in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, during his six-week suspension for violating the NFL's personal conduct policy. He said, I'm not really going to talk about it. It's behind me. I'm just trying to start a new page, a new chapter. I just want to thank this Cowboys organization for being behind me. Coach Jason Garrett wants to see, he said, how the running back handles practice before he commits to how much work that Elliott will get against Seattle. The four games before his suspension, Elliott had no fewer than 26 carries, no fewer than 93 yards, and had five rushing touchdowns. It's the most carries he had in a four-game stretch in his brief career. And LeVar Ball said today he's launching a basketball league for nationally ranked players who have graduated from high school but don't want to go to college. <laughs> Ball said his junior basketball association. Which I don't he... like LeVar Ball. This is genius for two reasons. Number one, he's a mark. I, whether you like him or not, he's a brilliant marketer. Number two, if this league works, that all the kids that leave for overseas, instead of doing that, they're going to play in this league to earn their eligibility for the NBA draft. And I think one and done is close to being done as well. I think they're going to go back to where kids to where you can... can draft them out yeah, of high school. I do. Ball said his Junior Basketball Association, which he said is fully funded by his big baller brand, plans to pay the lowest-ranked player a salary of $3,000 a month, the best player $10,000 a month. He says he's looking for 80 players to fill 10 teams that will seek to play at NBA arenas in Los Angeles, Dallas, Brooklyn, and Easy. 
uh, easy. Excuse me. In Atlanta, he told the ESPN, getting the players will be easy. This is giving guys a chance to get a jump start on their career, to be seen by pro scouts. We're going to pay them because someone has to pay these kids. Ball said the rules of the league will follow those of the NBA instead of college. 12-minute quarters and a pro three-point shot. Very quickly before we break, i got to yeah. pat myself on the back. I was right. Tommy Malone started out his major league career with the Washington Nationals. And I'm showing I want the scoop. And I'm showing off that nerd moment just because Kenny is in here. I'm not saying anything. It's the holidays. Right. Gonna be nice. We're gonna be nice. Traffic coming up. You nerd. <laughs> Well, your Minnesota Vikings are uh, taking have two games to go. Ultimately, that loss at Carolina, um, it shows you. I mean, the, you, you know, it shows you how tough the NFC is this year because the Vikings start two and two. You figure that's not going to kill you, right? Then you win eight in a row. You win. You know, you have a stretch where you're playing. Essentially, I think they played uh, what five out of six on the road, something like that. I believe. I think they played. Cleveland, yeah. quote unquote, on the road in right. London. Mm-hmm. Then they played at Washington. Then they came home, and played the Rams, and then they played three more in a row on the road. So they played, played five out of six on the road. Uh, they went five and one on those six games. But the one game you lose essentially probably keeps you from getting the number one seed. That's a hard to get. I mean, that number one seed because well, what stunk was the Eagles finding a way to beat the Giants last week, who they they should have lost because the Giants had yes. two chances to kick a winning field goal. And in that game. the Giants, and I didn't didn't the Eagles have three blocked kicks? They blocked an extra oh, I didn't point, know that. a field okay. goal and a punt. Wow. Yeah. I mean it was they were all played and and then the Vikings would have been one game, you know, one, you know, they would have just needed one loss from the Eagles. But I don't think the chances are very great that the Eagles are going to lose two straight. I think but the chances are very great the Vikings will win two straight. But. Yeah, so let's just say that they finish Eagles one, Vikings two, which yep. which most not most likely, but it looks like it's going it to happen. Is, it's very high percentage. But w- <clears throat> wouldn't you say? Because I I have this I don't know, and I don't know why I'm thinking this because I'm a Viking fan. I have in my entire life. I know at some point they're going to break my heart, but I see the Eagles being the team more likely to lose that first game, the second week of the playoff, that divisional round, as opposed to the Vikings at home. I would agree with that, and and the. Re- and the reason is not necessarily Nick Foles versus Carson Wentz. It is that the Eagles' defense has, and we'll talk to Herm Edwards about it in, in, at five fifteen. The, the real reason is, that, I mean, the Eagles' defense the last three games has struggled. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it struggled against the Rams, but won the game. It gave up twenty four points, which isn't a lot. But they two, gave up four hundred and some yards to Eli last the, week. The, I think the Giants had, yeah, the Giants had over five hundred yards offense. And that game was in New York, or was it in? Uh, it was in New York. Yes. Uh, but. But you know, so so the Eagles are having some defensive problems, whereas the Vikings are not. Okay, and you know, the, the, when you look at the Vikings, there are problems that occur, and it was bad when they gave up the big run to Cam when they came back to tie the game. Right, that was bad. Mm-hmm. It was a bad play by the defense, all you can say. But they don't make many bad plays. It isn't like they're getting receivers are running free and and runner after. You know, they got gashed for two big plays, and. You know, and Andrew Sandeo had a had a had a shot to get Cam Newton in the open field, and he got juked out. Well, Cam Newton's pretty good at running the ball. Last time I checked, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like he's some stiff. He's one of the best athletes in the NFL. And sometimes, in other words, you're playing other good teams, and Carolina's a good team, and Carolina played a very good game and beat the Vikings. And so, I mean, there was no shame in losing that game. But that game is going to probably mean, if everything plays to form, and the Vikings win their first playoff game that they may have to go to Philadelphia and win on the road. But I think they could do it. They're this type of team, though, and they're built the way that, because obviously they're so strong defensively, 
the Vikings are a team that can win a game on the road in the playoffs. Yeah, and they were they're five and two on the road this year. Yeah, you know. So, but I'm, isn't it remarkable you were mentioning how they started two and two? Because I'll never forget this. I was down in Atlanta the day that they lost to the, the Lions. Lions when Dalvin Cook got hurt, and I remember I was at the Falcons Bills game, and Manny texted me. And he said, you know, FYI, I know you're not watching the game because he knew I was at the Falcons game. And he said, Dalvin Cook blew out his knee. It looks like Dalvin Cook blew out his knee, might be out for the year. And I remember after the loss going, well, this season's over. Well, right. They just start- lost Bradford. You know, you didn't really well, know about Case and no. you lost your stud rookie. Exactly. Because, yeah. the, you know, Case had the good game against Tampa Bay. Yep. Okay. Yep. He, he was dreadful and the whole team was dreadful against the Steelers for a lot of reasons. One being the Steelers are good. Two, you know, they, then he had the great game against Tampa Bay, but it's one game. And then he stunk, although it really wasn't, you know, the Vikings had three fumbles in that game uh, against the Lions. And, and I think when Delvin got hurt, the whole team kind of went into shock. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so you're right. At that point, it looked like 8-8 eight and eight was going to be the best thing it could be. And then they rip off eight straight wins. And it, it's kind of shocking that they did. And and I will say this. Latavius Murray and Der- and Jarek McKinnon have done a very nice job. And to me, it further proves my point. And I said this back in, not in, what was, what was Adrian's MVP year, 2011? Uh, 2012, 2012. 2012. And, and you know, in 14, he led the league in rushing and, and but I, 15, I, 15, the year they won the division with Zimmer, 15, zero, 20, he led, 2015. Well, 2015. Yep. Yep. And, and I said, even back in 15 and even back in 14 and even back in 13, that while I liked watching Adrian Peterson run, it doesn't lead to points. What leads to points are running backs that can do everything. Okay. And now the Vikings have two of them. Neither one of them is close to the runner Adrian Peterson was. Both of them are far better at blocking, McKinnon especially, and catching passes than Adrian Peterson ever was. And if you gave me my choice that I could have an Adrian Peterson in his prime or these two backs, I would take these two backs over Adrian Peterson in his prime. Because to me, in the modern NFL and the way that they can run all that read option stuff and the stuff that Pat Shermer lets them run, these backs thrive in that offense. But I'll say this. Delvin Cook is like those two guys, only he's way better. And if they had Delvin Cook, they would be even better. So I give these guys a lot of credit. And the thing I've seen with Latavius Murray is he's a good runner, but he's having a lot of big holes, and he's making six, eight, nine yards with them. Mm-hmm. If Delvin Cook had some of those, he'd be breaking some of them. Well, and that leads to, you know, I, I was a big Pat Elfline guy even before yeah, he got injured. There. But, my God, when he wasn't in the lineup against Carolina, you really noticed that he wasn't there. And then – Seeing but him come they, back but the against fact the Bengals, the, the other, the other, the reef, the reef injury too doubled it. Sure, down, doubled but, it down. But Elfline didn't play the entire game. At least right. Reef played the first part of the game. But when he came back against the Bengals, that block he made on that screen pass when yep. he was 15 Tremendous. yards downfield. Oh, he's done it That's all a year. play that you don't see a lot of offensive linemen make because he has to run so far. But that he and Reef have been the two biggest additions, I believe, to the offense. And what you're not going to hear on this show today, well, you're going to hear it now, but I'm going to mock it. Is Look, I could care less. I, I guess the, the proper line is I couldn't care less. I couldn't care less. That that Harrison Smith didn't make the Pro Bowl. Right. I, I will, and I'm not an expert. I'm not breaking down film on safeties. But there's really no safety if I'm running a defense. And I'm sure if you asked Mike Zimmer that, and I'm sure if you asked a large number of defensive coordinators in the NFL to pick the safety first, they're picking Harrison Smith. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, he, he might be first-team All-Pro. Which is voted on by which is that's you know the all pro teams that's are, the one that matters. Well, all pro is all it's here's the the number one guy at each position. You know the top twenty two guys plus some special team guys, and then the second team is the second twenty two. That's legitimate when you're first team all pro 
or you know, guys that have been like five times first team All Pro, you're Hall of Famer. That it, w- once you get to five times first team All Pro, not Pro Bowl, right? First team, all, first team All Pro, you you're a Hall of Famer. And uh, Harrison Smith, I I think will probably be first team All and Pro. It, it is funny when we if when we finally get that at the end of the year that they might end up having more All Pros, yeah, than Pro Bowlers. I, I, on this I get team. a chick. Everyone says we don't care about the Pro Bowl. Yet when some player is quote-unquote snubbed, snubbed, everybody seems to care. <laughs> right. uh, I don't care. I'll take Harrison Smith any day of the week at the back of my defense. What a great pick that was by uh, by by Spielman. Remember, he traded up late in the first round. Harrison Smith wasn't fast enough. Remember that stuff? And the uh, the other pick in that first round was Matt Khalil, fourth yeah. overall. Yeah, no, he, he had one good year. trouble believing uh, that the Vikings are going to lose either of these last two games. I know it's going to be cold in Green Bay. Oh my god, I, I'm wondering if Brett Hundley is even going to be able to lead them to a touchdown you know, You know, I kind of got to agree with you because it's just, and Case Keenum doesn't seem like the type of guy that he's going to be cold and he's going to freak out or anything. I well, mean, they'll be. I think they'll have a very conservative approach. Will. It'll be a lot of run first, and, I, and I'm not saying that that's the wrong approach. It's not the wrong approach because generally. it's going to be cold. There might be some snow involved. That's, but they're going to want to just run the clock, hang on to the ball, and then tear that kid's head off on in in Green Bay. You know, it's uh, it was funny because you know there was some thought that. Even if the Packers had won the game against Carolina, and if they had, certainly Aaron Rodgers would have played. But do you want to put Aaron Rodgers facing no. when you saw what Andy Dalton had to go through last no. week, uh, or what most quarterbacks have had to go through uh, when they face the Vikings? Uh, so, well, and especially when you watched Rodgers play against Carolina, he just didn't. Did look you watch? Right. I didn't see any of that game. Well, I was watching because re- the Vikings Red, game was over, right. so I was you know watching Red Zone, and every time he they would go to right. that game, he just didn't look right. Yeah, and and I you know I'm not I'm not cr- criticizing him. I think it's no, noteworthy that he tried to come back. And Carolina's got a very good defense. Yes. They're a very good team. Yeah, uh, I do think there is there certainly is the funny thing is from their Vikings fans, and I get that you were rooting against the Packers because one you didn't want Aaron Rodgers to play against your team, and two you just hate the Packers. But if the Packers had beaten Carolina, then the Vikings could have wrapped up the number two seed by beating the Packers Saturday, and that would have meant that come Sunday. They could have played Case the next Sunday, the final Sunday. They could have played like Case the first half, and you could have had a whole second half of Teddy. Mm-hmm. Now you might get that anyway if the Vikings, you know, put the Bears out of their misery early in that game. But, but you know, unless Carolina loses to Tampa Bay on Sunday, which ain't gonna happen. No, the Vikings are gonna have to win. Sun- they're gonna have to beat the, the Bears too. The Vikings are gonna have to go two and zero because the big difference. There's some difference between the one seed and the two seed. There's a huge difference between the two oh, seed and the three seed. Having an entire week off, that absolutely. is critical for the Vikings, uh, and so so they've got a lot of work left. But the schedule is set up well for them. When we come back at the top of the hour, yes, I've I don't think I've said, but I'm trying on Twitter to have it be a Wiggy free Wednesday. Oh, and not destroy Wiggy, but but we may have to talk a little Timberwolves. And but but I'm of the belief now that what Tibbs is doing, while it might be generating some wins in the short term might be hurting this program in the long term. We'll talk about that when we come back on The Ride with Royce. Did you know Nissan EVs have traveled 8 billion miles? Just a quick trip to Pluto and back. And what did we learn along the way? Well, that an EV can take on the world, like the Nissan LEAF. It can move racing forward and take your breath away, like the all-new Nissan Aria. We learned to make EVs that electrify. 8 billion miles driven by Leaf owners globally since 2010. Aria not yet available for purchase. Expected availability late fall. Subject to change.